Hey, Providence Road. Uh, thanks for joining uh, me this morning, this evening, this afternoon, whenever it is you're, you're taking time to watch this. We're really grateful that you would take the time to do this. Um, obviously, this is not the way we would want to. We do this. We want to be all be together. We want to be in the same room. We want to be able to sing together. We want to be able to shake hands. We want to be able to hug and all that. Um, but we, we don't feel like that's best right now. And so we're going to do this. So we are thankful for the technology to do this. This is not um, this is not the way that that, that we want to do this. But um, again, thankful for the opportunity. Um, so what we're going to do um, now is take the time to to read through um, Psalm eighty six. Psalm eighty six, um, just like we've done the the this summer, we're spending time in the Psalms, and um, the guys asked me to to come, and that's this has been a song that's resonated with my heart for a long time. I don't know specifically why, it's just, it just has, and it's been something that uh, I go back to frequently, and so when it was said, uh, asked, like, what psalm did you want to do? It was immediately this one for me. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 86. I'm going to take the time to read that, and then we'll kind of walk through um, really one verse in particular, but kind of an overview, and then we'll walk through all that stuff. So if you would... Um, Let's take the time to read um, Psalm 86 with me. Um, starting at verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, none, nor are there works like yours. All the nations you have made come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me, and a band of ruthless men seeks my life. They do not set you before them, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your maid, sir. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let me take this time to, to pray together. Jesus, we're grateful for this time. We're grateful for the opportunity um, to, to have a recording, to, to hear your word, um, even though we can't meet together. And we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truths that we see um, in this psalm, we're thankful um, that we just can, can read these things and be comforted. And I do pray, Father, that as I speak this morning, that it is not me up here, um, you know, bringing my great ideas and, and, and all of that. But, God, it is your truth that comes from me and then your spirit goes forth and um, that that truth will be rooted in our hearts. And through that truth that we will be comfort. Uh, Jesus, you are good to us. Thank you for this time. 
in your name. Amen. So there's a few um, interesting things I think about this this psalm, um, and I and I really like it. So we we've taken time to look at different categories of psalm, the psalms, and and this one actually kind of moves through petition. It moves through some adoration. It moves through lament. It kind of goes through these these phases. Uh, it's not till till the end of the psalm that we really see. Uh, what David's, David's actually writing about, verse 14 says, Insolent men have risen up against me, and a band of ruthless men seeks my life. So this idea of, like, he's got himself in a situation or the situation where there's, there's uh, forces against him, and he doesn't feel safe, he doesn't feel comforted. Um, and so he sort of appeals, um, he appeals to the sovereignty of God. Um, so there are lots of kind of coffee, I'd call them coffee cup verses, lots of verses you see on stuff or uh, verse, verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love for all who call on you. Verse uh, 13 says, Great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, we see in all of those verses uh, kind of the major theme of the psalm, which is God's steadfast love. And... Uh, that's instructive for us as we see, um, just, just that we see, um, man, we see God's steadfast love is, is comforting to David. It is something that he is really seeking and something that he's really running after here. Um, and so that's instructive for us. Uh, we also see, one thing I think is interesting is, okay, so it uses the phrase, oh Lord, 11 times. Um, at least in the ESV. Um, but, O oh Lord, is, 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 is two different things, right? So in this, one we see, we see in all caps, we see Lord in all caps. And in that case, that is the Hebrew word for Lord. That is the word Yahweh. That is the uh, big, powerful, this is who God is. This is God's identity. This is I am who I am. But uh, more times, actually seven times, when we see the word Lord, it is, in our Bibles, it is lowercase. Um, and in this psalm, it's David is actually using the word Adonai. And Adonai means sovereign. So that's the supreme ruler, this, con this person that is in control of everything. So he's appealing both to who God is and this part of God's character where he is, a, um, he controls it all. And so God is, um, you know, in control of all these things and David seeks comfort in that way. And honestly, that's the major sort of theme that runs throughout this psalm, this idea of, um, David is going towards God's character um, as an appeal to his own uncertainties and things like that. So that's very instructive for us. Even with all that good stuff, um, that's actually not what I'm going to really unpack for us today. I'm actually going to spend a lot of time um, in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, uh, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Um, the NIV actually here um, says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And, um, you know, this is not the primary um, crux of the psalm. I think that's actually this, this, um, this idea of God's steadfast love. But this verse, for whatever reason, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Um, unite my heart. Or give me an undivided heart has just been resonating with me really since I heard it many years ago. I don't I really can't explain that. 
Um, so what I wanted to do is take some time to walk through this verse. I'm going to take the next hour and a half uh, to walk through this. No, that's not true. Um, I'm going to take just a few minutes as I walk through this this verse, and I'm going to kind of unpack to what this is, um, how this is really speaking to me right now. Okay, so first thing we see is teach me your way, O Lord. And in that case, Lord is all caps in our Bible. says, says teach me your way, Yahweh. That is, teach me your way, um, God, Jehovah, covenant God. Like It's almost like he's saying, um, teach me to be like you and to have an identity like you. Um, but I do want to take also the time to define the word way here. Okay, so teach me your way. Uh, anytime I've done sermons... Anytime I've done teachings, I, I like to define words. I, I don't think I've ever really made it through without defining a word. Um, and I do that in, in my study times as well, just to really help me understand what, what's, what's trying to be, be said here. So, way sort of has two definitions, right? One is a physical road, a track, a path. It is, it is something that you can see, something that you can walk along, or something that you can um, actually, you know, it is something that you see. It's a path, right? But the second definition is um, kind of a method, a style, or a manner of doing something. Like we would say, that's just the way he is. That's just the way that she is. Or um, that's just the way that they do that. And, and in that sense, it is not a physical path, but actually it's sort of like a characteristic. It's almost like they're describing the person and saying, yeah, that's, that's just what they do. Um, and so... Those are two helpful <clears throat> definitions, and we'll kind of unpack that as we go through. The Bible gives us a third sort of definition, um, and that definition is Jesus, right? We see in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and so I think a lot of us, when we read this verse, we, we think of the, the first definition of the word way, that Jesus is the path. To the Father, and that is, and certainly, certainly true. Um, but almost in the way that Jesus says this, he says, um, he says, he's saying this in response to Thomas, right? So Jesus teaching, he said, Jesus is saying, "Hey, I'm preparing a place for you, um, and you will know the way." Um, and and fourteen five, Thomas says, uh, oh, "Lord, we we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way?" So Jesus's answer to that is, "I am the way and the truth and the life." So it's this identity statement, but it's almost this invitation. It's not just just the pathway, but almost this this like kind of hey, follow me. I am the way. Do what I do. And so um, this idea of like trust me, follow me, uh, be like me. That's sort of what we get when how Jesus answers Thomas's question. So this. Those two definitions, right? The definition that it is a road, a track, a path, um, but also a method, a style, a manner of, of doing something. It's a person's characteristics. I think Jesus is kind of playing on both of those when he says, I am the way. Um, and that sort of makes some sense when we see the second half of verse um, 86, uh, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. It's the, it's the both, right? Um, so the first part is the teaching of the way, and the second part um, is the walking. And when we look at Jesus, that's what he did. He was primarily a teacher. 
he came and he taught many things. Now, he's the best teacher that ever lived um, because he was God. But so much of what he says is just, <clears throat> it's just declaring things, right? So the first thing we see Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. So these are defining statements. These are not commands. This is Jesus saying, this is how it is. <clears throat> he says, regarding prayer, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's telling us something that's true. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, telling us something is true. He's teaching us something. He says, a kingdom of heaven can, divided against itself um, cannot stand. Or he also says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Wow, I mean, it's like. Um, <clears throat> he's defining all these things for us. And that's, um, I think that's really helpful to sort of think about like that. We're not just thinking about the commands, but Jesus is actually saying, this is the way that it is. And with that authority you know, comes this idea of um, not just agreeing with those commands, but also you know, saying Jesus literally shows us the way. And so what, what I want to point out here is that Jesus did not just tell us how it was. He did not just teach us. The Gospels aren't, and Jesus said, in just a bunch of things. There's a lot of description going on in the Gospels telling us what Jesus is doing. They are very biographical. They are very descriptive in saying Jesus went here. Jesus ate with these people. Jesus walked to this city. Jesus walked to this city. Jesus rode. And like, they're very descriptive. Um, and I don't know if a lot of us read the Gospels that way. Um, John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, really sort of points this out. He points this out of biographies that when we read a biography, a lot of times we copy the, we, if it's someone we like or someone that we, we want to be like, we copy them. So I recently read a book that had, uh, that talked a lot about Winston Churchill, talked about the things he did. Winston Churchill was known for taking naps and taking baths. So if I want to be like Winston Churchill, I need to take baths and I need to take naps. I'm all down with the nap thing, right? I need, if I want to be like Vincent Churchill and mirror my life after him, those are things that I would do because those are things, not just what he believed, but what he actually did as well. <clears throat> we could say the same for someone like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs wore the same outfit every day, his black, uh, black shirt and his jeans. Um, so if I want to be like Steve Jobs, I need to get rid of all my, my clothes and wear the same outfit, preferably jeans and a black shirt um, to simplify, right? That was the whole point of what he was doing and only have one chair in your living room, and one lamp and all these kinds of things. But, but if I want to be like Steve Jobs, I like the pattern of his life. I like the way he lived his life. Then I would do those things. And so um, I think it's very descriptive or very instructive for us to see how the Bible describes and how the gospels describe what Jesus is actually doing. What are the, some of the things we see him doing? We see him, we see Jesus um, going out into the wilderness. Like in, in, in Matthew, we see Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Mark, we see Jesus rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. 
and he departed and went out to the desolate place. Uh, he even teaches, he instructs his disciples to do that. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. So Jesus really did seek alone time, seek silence, seek solitude. He shows us that. He also had dinner with sinners and, and tax collectors, right? Um, so much so that the religious people of the day, it really, it really infuriated them. Matthew tells us, and Jesus reclined at the table, and behold, many tax collectors sinners came and were reclining at the table with Jesus. What else did he do? He traveled slowly. Jesus walked places. A lot of his ministry was done in interruptions. He, he didn't hurry. You don't really ever get the sense when you read the Gospels that Jesus is hurrying anywhere. I mean, to the point to where he's actually, the disciples sometimes say, hey, let's be in a hurry. We need to be in a hurry. Um, he made a habit of praying. He went up to the mountain to pray and went up, spent time in, in solitude in prayer. So um, I think there's a sermon in all of these actions. Uh, but one of the challenges to you uh, that I have is to go back through the, the Gospels and take some time reading the Gospels. And like I had done for so long, just skipping over those sort of descriptive passages. Tell me what Jesus is teaching. Let me, give me the red letters. Right? Give me the, those, those things that Jesus is saying, which are obviously and absolutely true and, and important, but we're missing some pieces of it if we just ignore what Jesus is actually doing. If we want our lives to model Jesus, um, then we should do what he does. And the reason that I say this um, is for us to truly understand Jesus' teaching, <clears throat> we must also to seek to live a life like he lived. I know this sounds like kind of a duh, moment, but, but the reality is um, there are so many ways that we don't live like Jesus and not just culturally, right? We don't like quiet. We don't like silence. We don't like solitude. Um, we don't like to rest well. It's like, hey, let's, you know, Jesus is, is resting so much. I mean, he's sleeping on a boat in the middle of the storm. He's resting well. In my life, I don't, I don't even want to rest at all, right? Um, we don't like to spend time with the poor. Makes can make us uncomfortable. Um, and Jesus spent a lot of time with the poor. But also, we don't like to spend a time with, with the very rich as well. That also makes us uncomfortable. But Jesus clearly spent a lot of time with those people um, as well. We don't like confrontations or to call sin, sin. Um, and the list just kind of goes on and on. And I think the question for us this morning, or whenever you're watching this, is sort of why? Why this disconnect? Um, Romans 7 really resonates with me in this. This is Paul writing in Romans 7, starting in verse 15. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Then later on in verse, in verse um, in 7, in Romans 7, he says, For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not do, that's what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think what Paul is describing, and what I would um, describe in my life, is this idea of the divided heart. This is what we see in the second half. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Um, unite my heart to fear your name, or give me an undivided heart to fear 
your name. The message in this commentary here says, put me together, one heart and one mind. And I think we know what it means when we see groups of people divided, right? There's just a vision, they just disagree on something, or even something as simple as sports team. It's like, you like this thing, you like this thing, divided. But what, what about our hearts? What do we experience with a, a divided heart? Or divided mind? We, one thing we have to remember is that we are, we are embodied people, right? So that means that we're not, we're not a separate heart, a separate mind, a separate soul. And all of these things are together in a lot of ways describing the same, same types of things. But we also know that the physical interacts with the the spiritual and the, and the mental, right? So like, if I'm tired, um, a lot of times I can make bad decisions. I can be cranky, I can be short-tempered. If I'm hungry, uh, I can be irritable. Hope I'm not just describing myself here. I don't think I am, but, um, you know, if I, on the other side of that, you know, if I, if I do some physical activity, if I run, if I exercise, it can help clear my thoughts. Or if I let myself rest, physically rest, physically sleep, physically not do anything, um, I'm kinder to my kids. I'm more understanding. I'm more patient. So you see the physical interacting with the mental, spiritual, um, and the heart, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And this isn't meant to be some new agey kind of feeler type stuff, right? But um, that we're just, we cannot disconnect <clears throat> these things. We cannot, um, when we have difficulty and it leads to tension when we disconnect the physical from the mental um, or the spiritual. Um, you know, the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord with God, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? So the idea is like, I think this idea of the divided heart, the idea that we see in Romans 7 is this disconnect that we have between maybe agreeing with Jesus' teachings, um, agreeing and loving Jesus, and, and saying yes to the things that he, that he brings to us in the Gospels, but then not living and walking our lives in that, that way. And I've been thinking about that for a long time, this disconnection, this, <clears throat> this um, divided heart, divided mind, divided Kind of person in the way that I've been living, have lived my life, and so um, as I sought to sort of try to think through that, this this verse sort of came to me, and um, I'd read it many times, um, but not this way. So Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty says this: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So I think working through this tension means we, we yoke with Jesus. What is a yoke? A yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the neck of two animals that attaches them together, and then they're attached to a plow or something. It's not something we use um, much anymore. And, and honestly, Jesus is not referring to a literal yoke, right? You can't go down to Mardell and uh, buy a Jesus yoke 
and put it on and be like, hey, I'm, I'm yoked with Jesus. But he's really saying, hey, um, agree with me, come to me um, in the way that I interpret life, in the things that I do. He's literally saying, hey, let, let me shoulder life with you. A, a yoke would go on an animal's shoulders. And so like the idea is like, hey, this yoke is, is, is easy because we are shouldering life with Jesus. But that also means it's also unifying, right? A yoke is unifying. That means the things that Jesus does, we do. If we're going to say we're yoked with him. Dallas Willard, when he's referring to this, um, he, in, he, he says this, he says, um, and give this a second, in this truth um, lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves the living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. That is, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus only consists of loving our enemies or suffering patiently and hopefully while we live the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy that is bound to fail. John Mark Comer says this, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And bringing it full circle, says Jesus, I am, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Commenting on this verse, Eugene Peterson said, The Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. So when you see, teach me your way, O Lord, that may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to fear your name. It means we have to yoke with Jesus. We don't want to say yes and agree with his teachings but yet when Jesus says rest, we say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this away. Or Jesus says, hey, you need to spend time alone with the Father. We say, no, I want, I want to do something else. I want to be busy. Or, hey, let's spend time in prayer. Let's spend time in silence. I'm like, no, I want to turn on some music. Or, no, let me, let me pick up my phone. So like Jesus is saying, going this way, we're going this way in that yoke. There's tension. We're, we say we're yoked to Jesus, but we're, we're not going the way he's going. Um, so the challenge for us is to take inventory in our lives and compare it to the way that Jesus lived his, his life, the way he lived his life, with his rhythms and his practices and the things he does. We know that Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever lived. He um, holds the world in his hands. He created, the, he was there in the beginning of the creation. He understands everything and he teaches us all these things, both with what he says and with what he does. If Jesus needs to rest, we need to rest. If Jesus needs silence, we need silence. If he needs solitude, we need solitude. If Jesus says, hey, it's a good thing for you to have dinner with sinners and tax collectors, then we need to do that. We need to have dinner with sinners and tax collectors. And we need to not skip over those parts of the Gospels. And so that's sort of my, my challenge, and I mentioned it earlier, my challenge is, this idea of yoking with Jesus, walking alongside of him, um, unifying, giving us an undivided heart, or, or uniting our hearts um, so that we can worship God, so that we can fear him. The idea that 
we can't skip over um, those aspects. I mean, for, the, for example, the book of the Gospel of Mark, there is teachings that Jesus is speaking, but there's a lot of just descriptions of what Jesus is doing. And my challenge would be to go through and, um, these next couple weeks and take the time to um, take the time to see what Jesus is actually doing, and then start to think through how we can model our lives after that. How we can maybe rest better. How we can spend time alone better. I have I have a big family. Alone time is precious, and I don't get that. So we have to work for it, and that's, that's okay. But it's important that we seek to do that because Jesus did that. And Jesus did that because he knew all the truths of the world. <clears throat> and so um, that's, my, that's my challenge here. and something that I've just been considering and wrestling with for a long time. Um, how to unify those things. So let us shoulder life with Jesus. By trusting in his word and doing what he did. Modeling and copying, really, his way of life, his rhythms. Um, now is a good time for us to do that. You know, where life looks so different than it did um, even a couple months ago. Life's so different for all of us. And so it's a great time for us to do that and to take that time um, to maybe make some changes that we need to make. To slow down. Um, to seek more quiet. Um, to speak, seek to send, spend time with others that we don't spend time with. Um, because it's not easy. Um, the reality is, we spend time maybe in a, in a situation, in a dinner or something where it's not easy. But then we have the rhythm of rest to recuperate and recover from those types of things. Um, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. That you provide that for us. That you will walk alongside us. That you will, will literally shoulder the weight of life with us. That we are not alone. That we are not left to just wander like sheep without a shepherd. Thank you for your... The, your commands and your truths, but we thank you also for the way that you lived your life. And I pray that you will help us copy it in every aspect that we that's there, that we just copy either rhythms that you have for your life. Um, and we continue to just pray as we work our way through this pandemic, as we work our way through COVID, that we don't lose sight of you and that we maybe... Um, have the opportunity to change things on some things about our lives that um, otherwise we wouldn't have the opportunity to change. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us. It's your name we pray. Amen.